Welcome back to the ball, episode number 13. Let's kick start things off with Chelsea and Man City. Now, this was one of the headliners of the weekend. You know, every time you see a Chelsea and a Man City matchup, you've got to watch the game. And actually, I watched the game. And Byron, did you actually watch this game? Yeah, I checked this one out too. Okay, good, 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 good. These are some top, top teams. And after watching the game, it was pretty simple to see who was the better team. Um, it was total domination. Chelsea had 18, sh- oh, I mean, sorry, Man City had 18 shots, Chelsea had nine. City had six shots on target. Chelsea only had two shots on target. Uh, Chelsea was dispossessed 10 times. City only dispossessed four. And City actually had less passes in the game. They had uh, 488 to Chelsea's 554. But crucially, they had more key passes. Uh, City had 14 key passes and Chelsea came in at nine key passes. And it was the battle of the four... 3-3. Both teams lined up very identical. Um, every time you see an identical lineup, you always have to go with who has the more quality, who has the more depth. And when you've got uh, players like Fernandinho, Aguero, and Mares on the bench, it's pretty hard to beat the depth battle. Right? And looking at this lineup here, De Bruyne had a field day. I mean, he ran up against no opposition. Silva was almost a shell of himself. Zuma was non-existent. Phil Foden and Sterling were doing a madness on, on the wide sides there. And, I mean, just quality players Chelsea had in this 4-3-3. Very, very quality players. Uh, Brian, what do you think about the Germans and Havertz and uh, and Werner? Do you think they're ever going to break out and actually starts making, start making an impact in the league this season? Well, they certainly haven't met expectations thus far in the year. Um, this match in particular, Werner seemed pretty out of it. He didn't make much of an impact, and Havertz came through at the end and uh, tallied an assist, but that was when the game was long over. Oh, yeah. I mean, the depth that City has is, I think, uh, could be the difference in the season, especially with how many fixtures they are, and obviously with COVID going on, and people getting injured, and all the muscle injuries. If you have the luxury of having Aguero and Mares sit on your bench, Fernandinho, and Phil Foden didn't even play on Boxing Day, and he finally made a, a start this game, got an assist and a goal, and um, nothing really much for Chelsea, nothing really much for Chelsea this game. Well, I think you spoke to the depth of City, I think the flexibility of their team as well. You know, this is the first game that I've watched where they shifted into kind of a false nine rotation, at least in their starting lineup. You know, something Pep had a lot of success with, with Barcelona and Messi in that role. And it showed. Those first 30 minutes was just pure domination from City, um, with people rotating throughout the field, and it just seemed so fluid. I mean, there's a, they're a very versatile team, and if you're going to match formations against a team who's more versatile, more agile, and also much more technical... I think it's a losing battle. I think it's a losing battle that Frank Lampard was playing, and it showed. He lost 3-1. Now, let's jump into, I like to say, the headliner of the week, which was Liverpool and Southampton. 1-0. Now, there's a lot to say about this game. First, let me hand it over to Brian, who's our resident Liverpool fan. 
let me get your review on this game. What, what do you think happened? What do you think went wrong? Um, what did you see? Well, from a Liverpool perspective, it was just sloppy throughout. You know, looking at the lineup, this isn't, you know, a lineup of a champion. There wasn't a true defender out on the field with Fabinho and Henderson playing center back. By far the worst player on the field on Tuesday was Trent Alexander-Arnold. He set a Premier League record with, I believe, 38 passes that went askew. Is this the same guy who won uh, PFA Young Player of the Year? That is the same guy. The same guy that's also on the market value north of $100 million. It, It's baffling how poor he played. He also was the one that made the error that led to the goal that eventually put, put Liverpool away. Lovely finish by Danny Inks, but it shouldn't have never have reached him. And very early on in the game as well. Very, very early on in the game. It was only about the second minute. And you know, I'm sitting there watching the game thinking, okay, Southampton's been playing okay this season, but they're coming up against Liverpool. Henderson playing center back did raise some red flags for me. I won't lie. Um, but I thought, hey, Henderson's back there. Thiago's right in front of him. He won't lose the ball too much. He's going to be a sure, uh, sh- sure guy in the middle there. But even he, he was a bit shaky in the beginning. You know, this whole team was just all over the shop uh, Tuesday. The only guy who seemed like he was still himself was Sadio Mane. Actually, maybe even a better version of himself, only that he didn't score. Uh, he was very impressive, uh, although he didn't get the goal. But he was putting a lot of pressure on Armstrong and Walker Peters out there on the left side. Also cutting in, and he's very, very strong, underrated strong. Uh, That's something I've started seeing from Sadio Mane there. But let's give some credit to Southampton. I mean, Danny Ings, what a finish. What a finish. He had to capitalize on that uh, mistake and that set piece against his former team nonetheless he celebrated a little bit i think at, i think at this point he should just start screaming out loud and doing the knee slide and everything yeah he had a respectful smirk on his face yes he did he did he did now um man of the match was actually a center back there stevens he had a 8.1 rating that's out of 10 and which was the highest rating uh, out on the pitch obviously and the highest rated liverpool player looks like was Sadio Mane at 7.6 not not the best outing for Liverpool no not at all but you know speaking of praising Southampton I do want to give a shout out to Ward Prowse there's 30 center mid there for Southampton I think he's one of the most underrated players in the Premier League wow that's big praise there what did you see from him that that made made you say that well he controls the middle and you know in throughout the season he's had multiple free kick goals you know he, he could produce a moment at any point he was the person who whipped in the ball that eventually ended at Danny Ings as well oh yeah picked up the assist Ward Prowse I'm gonna keep an eye on him next time maybe he gets a bit more love on the ball now I've got to ask you a couple questions just moving forward for Liverpool do you think Liverpool is deep enough defensively with uh, what we saw the past game that was a bit alarming uh, no defenders back there uh, do you think you'd be able to scrap up some defenders from somewhere the window is open and maybe it's time to look to the transfer window or are you going to look at your youth team uh what's going to happen you think you know we've tr- we've tried a number of different things i think reese williams has shown some promise um but ultimately we, we want people to get healthy van dyke's a scratch for the season i'm not sure the status of joe gomez or joel metzi but, you know, I think we might need to go to the transfer round to secure some depth, especially with, you know, Trent Alexander-Arnold been hurt a little bit throughout the season. You know, nobody across that back line has 
been able to stay healthy. So I think we need some more bodies. And it's also alarming when they are healthy, like Alexander Arnold, and they're playing like they're playing. Um, let's, let's keep an eye on that. Now, a couple weeks ago, I was looking at Liverpool's fixtures, uh, upcoming fixtures, and I was thinking, man, they're on a pretty nice, easy stretch here. Uh, obviously, with a few uh, big teams they have to play, but I was looking at it. I was starting with Southampton. I give them three points on this. Now, I don't know. I'm not. I'm not going to be as liberal uh, when I give out points to Liverpool when I look at the fixture schedule. So I want to get some predictions from you. Now, next up, you've got Man U, and that's at Anfield. What do you What do you predict from that? Going back to the season where we won the Premier League last year, you know, the defense was sturdy. You could you could predict a, a shutout any given day. But based on where we're at now, you have to at least guess that at least one goal is going behind the Liverpool net. And they're coming up against a United team who's playing very well. They're even on points, and they also have a game in hand, so that's a big, big, big game there. It sure is. You know, I I, I still believe that Liverpool will pull that out. You know, they've tended to show up in the big games. I don't think against any of the top major clubs in the Premier League, the Chelsea's, the Tottenham's um, of the world, you know, we haven't dropped points. Now, after Man U, you stay home again, and you play Burnley. I think you can, I think you can go ahead and give yourself three points for this one. Yeah, I would tend to agree. Burnley hasn't showed us much this year, huh? Definitely not. Now, go over to Tottenham, and you face Jose. What do you think about that one? You know, I, we gotta give Jose his respect. He already saw us once, and his plan almost worked, and he really ultimately could have given a couple of decisions. Um, I think both coaches will adjust, and I predict another tight game. It should be. It should be. I'm, I'm looking forward to that one. Tactically, I feel like a Klopp and Jose matchup is always uh, a thing to watch. And there's always going to be a quote at the end of it, too. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Now, in the writer's corner, we're going to look at a uh, article put out by Bleacher Report called 4-3-3 Formation uh, by everyone's favorite uh, football analyst, Sam Teague. And it's basically looking, taking a closer look at the 4-3-3 Formation. Uh, which is what both teams in the Chelsea and Man City uh, matchup used. So the 4-3-3 is what was the second most popular formation in the Euros. Um, it's still widely used in Serie A and the Liga. It's almost seen as a 4-2-3-1 alternative. Uh, speaking on Liverpool again, uh, they utilized this one almost to perfection. I'd, I'd say that's their bread and butter. And it was brought to you by Brendan Rodgers. He used the 4-3-3 at Reading and also Swansea and then uh, naturally employed it at Liverpool and it's still being used today to much much effectiveness do you ever do you see Liverpool moving away from that with the personnel they have no no I think with the front three that uh, Liverpool has it, it works it's natural um, and then you know switching up the formation really isn't gonna help our defensive issues let's look at some of the characteristics here for the 4-3-3 it's high pressure um, ball hungry and you need some very active wing backs uh, to supply the width there because they're central midfielders you have a true number six coming in deep getting the ball and distributing it and the other two midfielders in the middle there are uh, plugging up the gaps left by all the forwards because as we know in the 4-3-3 forwards do little to no defending unless you're Roberto Firmino unless you're Roberto Firmino and you decide to play what would you even call him? A number 10. That's what, that's what, a number 10 slash number 9. And 
some of the strengths. It's very compact. It's a dangerous in attack. Um, the wingbacks have so much freedom because they have what I like to call number six insurance. Now, some of you are thinking out there, what, what's number six insurance? Well, number six insurance is, uh, first of all, your number six is the player who's going to be right in front of the back line and he's coming in deep, like I mentioned earlier, and he won't really advance too much, right? So what that allows for the wingbacks to do is kind of just vacate their area. In the instance, there's a, a counterattack or something's, something spicy is going on. Number six will go over there, check it out. Wait, what's going on over here? And uh, that kind of freedom in insurance is, I think, why you see today the uh, in, in, in modern football, the wingbacks now are scoring so many goals and getting in the attack and uh, providing so many assists. You know, and that's that's number six insurance. Um, also, with the four-three-three, provides plenty of passing options. Uh, we can see that in the City versus Chelsea game both teams came out in the 4-3-3 but obviously City had the more intricate and smarter players so they had more key passes some of the weaknesses of the 4-3-3 is it asks a lot of the players I mean you're basically asking your wingbacks to run up and down the pitch for 90 minutes you're asking your number six to be very smart uh, physical and also you're asking him to distribute the ball as well you know and Brian, who do you think is um, does that role, that number six role? Because it's a very important role. And you've got players like N'Golo Kante, who's uh, really good at plugging the gaps and giving the freedom there. But maybe some might say he's not as good distributing. Maybe not as good passing. Right? Um, and you cannot say Henderson because... Uh, I know he. I know he's your number six. Well, I'll go Fabinho then. If uh, you're gonna count <laughs> Beto all that, but looking at outside of Liverpool, I think Rodri um, for Man City has been excellent. Um, he's taken him a little bit of time to get into his role, but he's physical. He's strong. He covers well, and you know he's he's strong in possession. And he plays right into that four-three-three, especially with the with the uh, City players. I mean, you've got. Foden and Sterling out there, they're not going to play any defense at all, right? So you got to make sure you have someone there you can trust. And uh, speaking of players, what players prosper in the 4-3-3? Now, if you're going to run a system like this, you're going to need uh, your players to be mobile, agile, and uh, be very versatile footballers, which um, I think I just described De Bruyne. And what he did that game, is the perfect uh, description or uh, exhibition of what a number nine or a number ten uh, looks like when you're running a four-three-three. I mean, he was up and down the pitch. He's strong. He can pass, and there's not much he can't do, you know. And it it really worked out for them. And we're gonna see if the four-three-three keeps getting being utilized um, in the Premier League this season. Now it's time for Across the Pond. This is uh, where we take a closer look at uh, what the American players are doing across the pond and uh, some of the Europe's top leagues. Uh, they've been a bit quiet this, this past couple of weeks, you know, although we saw Pulisic play in there in the Chelsea game. 
you also also saw Zach Steffen make his uh, Premier League debut for City in that uh, fixture as well. So let me hand, let me hand it over to our resident American. Yeah, see, we mentioned not a whole lot going on. You know, both Pulisic and Steffen were relatively quiet in the City Chelsea game. But what is happening is January camp for the U.S. Men's National Team, which begins on the 9th. So this coming weekend, the players are gonna come together and begin. Is that also including the uh, Premier League players? No. This this camp, actually, they released the rosters yesterday, and it is primarily MLS players coming together. The interesting thing about this particular camp is it's being split into two sections. So we have the senior players and then also the U23 players. So there's 12 players that are going to start um, on the senior roster, with the remaining 26 starting off with the U23s. After a couple weeks, um, some of those U23s are going to join the the full team um, before they head off to a couple friendlies. Um, but I think having this separated is going to allow both Berhalter as well as, uh, I believe it's Kreis is the U23s head coach, um, to you know get an idea of who's going to be able to join the full team, but also who you know might begin making a making their run to make the Olympic roster this um, this summer if the games continue. Now, is this the first time this setup is being uh, done like this in terms of the U.S. men's national team camp? That I'm aware of. I'm not sure if it's done before, but I think it's it's an interesting approach. I think with the amount of talent uh, the U.S. has been just finding, uh, I think it's time that it's obviously getting a bit more competitive. And... Uh, they want to bring a lot more players in, and I feel like that's that's the right direction to go. Yeah, absolutely. You know, none of the, the big names that have been um, featuring recently, like the Gio Reynas, the Christian Pulisics, um, the Weston McKinney's, none of those guys are joining it. Uh, but it's, it's going to give a, a lot more opportunity for some of these domestic players, such as Jordan Morris, Josie Altador, um, and others to get a shot. For sure, for sure. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing what, how far this U.S. men's national team can go. Maybe, uh, is it too early to say this is the golden era, or uh, can we can we put that label on them now? It's much too early. Much too early? Okay, okay. Now it's time for the boss power rankings. Coming in at number five, it's Tottenham. Now, the league is so packed and it's so competitive. My only reason for putting them fifth is that they're fourth in the league. Um, I mean, they've lost a couple games. They... I'm not as high on them as I was, you know. They kind of just, to me, I feel like they're leveling out a bit. What do you think about that, Brian? I would absolutely agree. I think Son and Kane came out swinging to begin the Premier League, and they've they've still been excellent, but they've certainly cooled off, and no one else on the team has stepped up in their place. I mean, these guys were on pace probably. Kane was on pace to score like 60 goals and have 70 assists by the end of the season and Sun was on his on pace to score like 90 goals I think I think they're all coming back down to earth and and, and relaxing a little bit and at number four we've got Leicester City they're third in the league um, same reason or same thing I see going on with Tottenham they're just kind of there you know they also drop some points and they're sticking around but uh, it's very very tight I mean the table is ridiculous this season Coming at number three, we've got Man City. They've got no losses in their last five, although they have two draws. Uh, they dominated Chelsea, and again, I think that depth is going to be the difference, uh, especially if Aguero makes a run in and actually starts 
getting some goals uh, it's con starts contributing to that team. It's going to be a, a pretty good team to watch. They're scary, and they also have two games in hand. So if you know, if win the next couple, and they're right at the top of the table. That's true. Oh, two games in hand. Wow, I didn't even realize that. Coming at number two, we've got Liverpool. Technically, they're still champions. Uh, I think they have one of the best team and coach combos with Klopp and, you know, Sa Sadio Mane, Salah, Firmino. I think I won't keep going down their lineup after the past uh, Southampton game, but on a good week, I can go down the whole lineup and, and I could get no arguments. No arguments. And they also have the most goals in the league at 37. So that uh, that front three there and that offense is still kicking. It's going to take a lot to, to slow them down. It's not bad. I think coming at number one, this is it, we're making a debut here. Number one debut. It's for the first time ever, we're throwing Man United at number one. They're unbeaten in the last five with only one draw. That Bruno and Pogba combination is really starting to work. Oh my goodness. Have you have you seen those two in the middle there in the past couple games? No, they've been really impressive, creating chances. But I think it's a lot of it's that number six insurance. Fred and McTominay have been solid back there, allowing them to make that pressure. You need some number six insurance. Ins insurance is very important, especially number six insurance. And their next fixtures are pretty good. They've got Burnley, which I'll give them three points there. They've got Liverpool. It's going to be a tough game. Then they go Fulham. Sheffield, Arsenal, and Southampton. Uh, maybe the last one might trip him up a bit, but you know, still very, very favorable uh, run of fixtures there. Uh, do you think they're going to break away and rack up the points here? Break away, no, but I think they're going to be continue to contend after the stretch of games. Absolutely. Thanks for tuning in to the ball, airing every Wednesday on Apple iTunes and Spotify. Let's get the ball rolling. See you next week.